0: If you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 11 is where we are today. Of course, we want to keep in mind that our fearless leader, Wes, is in North Carolina for his first PhD seminar, so I know that's exciting for him. Uh, we are in the book of Exodus, and while you're turning there, I want you to think for a moment about warning signs, uh, not necessarily ominous signs, but just practical signs that we see in everyday life. So, for example, uh, bridge may ice before road. We probably don't have as many of those down here as other places, but we have a few of them. Or uh, wet floor, right? You walk through Walmart and you see one of those yellow folding plastic things, and that's a warning sign. You know immediately uh, somebody spilled something or they've been mopping, it's a warning sign. Or maybe high voltage. If you drive by some of these electrical places with all the, the wires and whatnot, it'll say high voltage. And those are warning signs because there is danger ahead if we go on without taking into account what's ahead. Uh, they are warning signs that we're supposed to heed, and sometimes it means just go the other way. Sometimes it means take extra precautions, and if we don't heed those warnings, then we run the risk of um, bad things happening. Maybe it's injury. Uh, maybe it's even death, ultimately, with some of these warnings. and I'm reminded of uh, one time in college, I was driving in the evening, and uh, we had had some icy conditions uh, up in Oklahoma. And this was pre-GPS. Do you guys remember when you had to print out from like Yahoo Maps the direct, the point-by-point direction? Which was I'm, it's got to be dangerous because we weren't looking at phones back then, but we had a whole book of paper with us that we're looking at driving down the road because you're you know, point-by-point. And I had missed my exit. I went one too soon. But I knew the area, so I said, well, if i got to go one more north, let me just, I'll just take a side street, and it's, it can't be that hard. And I turned down a side street, and I was driving carefully because it was a little slick, and I see in, down the road uh, a, a guy in his truck had sort of gone off the road a little bit and had his lights flashing, and he was standing outside, and I thought, okay. I keep driving, and he begins to do one of these to me. And I think, oh, he needs, he needs help. He needs, you know, maybe I, he needs a phone or something. Well, as I got closer, suddenly I hit an ice patch, and I veer off into a ditch. It was, very, it, was not, it was very underwhelming. It was two miles an hour, slowest crash ever. But I go off, and of course, you know, brakes, nothing helps. And he comes up to me and says, hey, I was trying to get you. I was trying to tell you don't drive down here because there's ice. I thought, good to know now that I'm in a ditch. But he had gone into the ditch because of ice, and so he was trying to warn me not to go. But I didn't understand the sign, and so I kept going and I hit the ice, and now we're both stuck. And I'm reminded of Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3. This is one that has stuck with me for a while. It says, uh, the prudent, or the wise person in the Proverbs, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. The wise or the prudent person sees danger and says, I don't want to go there. I-, I need to stay away for my own safety. I'm going to go hide myself, but it says the simple, uh, the more common term in the Proverbs is the fool, he goes on and says, no, it's fine, let's just go, and he suffers for it. And I've had that in mind as we think about Exodus here with the 10th plague. And, of course, being number 10, that means uh, Pharaoh has had nine plagues already, nine demonstrations of God's power and his sovereignty over creation. But as we've seen, every time that there has been this plague that comes through, which is a warning, Pharaoh has said, no, he's hardened his heart, he has refused to submit to Yahweh. He sees the danger, If we think about Proverbs 22, he's like the fool, he sees the danger over and over and again, but rather than hiding himself like the wise man, he says, no, I'm just going on, I'm Pharaoh, nobody tells me what to do. I run the show and I make the rules. He goes on and he suffers for it. He won't change his mind. He won't soften his heart. He won't repent. And as a result, he suffers both him and the people of Egypt. Throughout this judgment, there has been one simple message on repeat. It's Like the old school days when the CD would get stuck. And we'd just play this thing over and over and over. This message on repeat has been, Yahweh is Lord. Every single plague that has come along has been Yahweh saying, look, I'm in charge. I gave a command to let my people go, and time and time again you have said no. And as a result, there's judgment. So what I want us to see today in our text is that Yahweh delivers his final judgment on Pharaoh so that the world will know that he is Lord. Yahweh is going to deliver his final judgment on Pharaoh so that the world will know he is is lord so i want to ask you to stand with me and i want to read our text for us and then pray and ask the lord to guide us so exodus chapter 11 we're doing this a little bit different so we're going to get 11 1 through 10 and then we're going to skip to the end of chapter 12 because right in the middle is the passover which wes will be doing in a couple of weeks so uh, it's just it'll make more sense as we go along but exodus chapter 11 verse 1 if you're there say word fantastic here's what it says "'The Lord said to Moses, "'Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. "'Afterward, he will let you go from here. "'When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. "'Speak now in the hearing of the people, "'that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. "'And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. "'Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt.' in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. Verse 4, so Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. Now turn over to chapter 12, verse 29. At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we ask in this moment for wisdom to understand, humility to receive your words here in the scripture. Help us to know, help us to learn, help us to follow, and help us to heed the warnings that we'll talk about in this time. We pray it in Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I want to begin this morning, first of all, with a final judgment promised final judgment promise. This is verses 1 through 10. Uh, we don't have to read it again, but uh, you know the, the text there, a final judgment. I, I can't help but think as we, as we look at these plagues, 1 through 9, that both the Egyptians and the Israelites, probably every time were asking, is this the last one? Or maybe the Israelites probably more were saying, Moses, how many more of these? How many more of these are we going to have to watch and maybe we're going, and then we're not, and then then we are going, but then we're not again. How many more of these? Well, it turns out only one more. Yahweh comes to Moses and tells him not only of the next plague, but the last plague. Why will it be the last? I think because of its severity. It will be so severe in its destruction. The text actually says they're not just going to let you go, they're going to drive you out. Look again at verse 4. Thus says the Lord about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every, (coughs) excuse me, firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. This is the most extreme, most devastating, uh, greatest judgment delivered so far. Every single firstborn in the land of Egypt will die, male and female. And notice the extent of this. There's, There's sort of this extra phrase here. And he points out it's all the way from the house of Pharaoh to the servant girl living behind the handmill. And what he means by that is there's no place or class or um, label or title that will protect you in Egypt. It doesn't matter if you live in Pharaoh's house, you know, the Hilton there, or if you live in a shack on the edge of town doesn't matter if you're working for the government with all the titles and have all the money or if you are scrounging for a living. You are not safe. Judgment is coming. And nothing can protect you from Yahweh's powerful hand. God's final judgment on Pharaoh and the people of Egypt will be so severe, so devastating, unlike anything they had ever seen. The text says the people will cry out, in a way that they never before have. Egypt's old enough to have seen some calamities come by. Plague, maybe. Um, <coughs> crops dying, people getting sick, things like that. The text says, no, no, no. It will be in such a way that there will be a cry that they have never made before. The Egyptians have never experienced something like this. This is a huge increase in force from flies, like frogs. Those seem tame compared to where we are now. Now, Scoop the frogs out, it's fine, let's go on. Now it's the firstborn. And this increase in severity, I think, might cause us to ask an important question. I think it's a fair question. Is God in the right to exact this degree of judgment on Pharaoh and the Egyptians? Is God in the right? Is it right, is it okay for God to do this? Maybe to say it another way, Is the killing of the firstborn going too far? Has God overplayed his hands, so to speak? Has he gone so far that we're sort of out of the bounds now of what is right and proper? I think that's a fair question and one that we need to consider for a moment. What I want to argue is that God is perfectly just to do this. He is perfectly right and perfectly just when he judges Pharaoh and the Egyptians. I'll tell you why. Pharaoh's had nine opportunities at this point to repent, nine opportunities to submit to the Lord, to recognize, clearly I'm not in control here, I need to submit to Yahweh. But what has he done over and over and over again? Well, let me tell you three things he's done. He's refused to submit to Yahweh. Remember back in chapter 5, Moses, this is the first time he meets Pharaoh, and he says, hey, Pharaoh, Yahweh says to let my people go. Do You remember Pharaoh's response? Who's Yahweh? Moses, who's I don't know who this guy is. I'm certainly not going to follow him and listen to him. He's refused to submit to Yahweh. Secondly, he's tried to negotiate obedience on his own terms. Three times now, he's, had, he's said something along the lines of okay, fine, you guys can go under these circumstances. Remember, we'll leave your flocks here, and then it was we'll leave the women and children here, and then it was well, just don't go too far. He's trying to negotiate and say, fine, Yahweh, I'll obey you with certain stipulations. Anybody ever had something like that? God, okay, I'm okay with this, God, as long as it sort of goes within this direction. That's Pharaoh's approach. And then thirdly, he has continually exalted himself. Chapter 9, we saw this. Another one of those questions, how long? The question was, how long will you continue to exalt yourself? Pharaoh, how long will you continue to, rather than submitting yourself to Yahweh, just build yourself up? I'm Pharaoh while, meanwhile, my empire crumbles around me. How long? Yahweh has been patient with Pharaoh, in fact. Have you seen God's patience in the plagues? Maybe we haven't done a great job of highlighting that, but he actually has been quite patient. If you remember back in Exodus chapter 9, uh, we see where the text says that God actually could have struck down Pharaoh from the beginning. We didn't even need the nine leading up to number 10. God could have just come in and snap a finger, poof, all the Egyptians are gone, people of God are out the door. But he's waited. He's been patient. We actually see even this little glimpse of grace and patience and kindness where the plague of the hail that's coming, they tell him and warn him ahead of time, go inside. Get your people indoors so that they're not caught outdoors. Well, why would God do this? Because He's patient with sinners. God is patient with sinners. He does not judge hastily. He certainly judges, but He does not judge hastily. He warns, and He calls us to repentance. And then He warns, and He calls us to repentance. And then He warns, and then He calls us to repentance. Over and over and over again. Paul would say later in Romans chapter 2 that it's uh, the kindness of God is meant to lead us to what? Anybody know? Repentance. Yeah, the kindness of God is not meant to lead us to, well, I'm just going to keep going for now. Nothing's happened yet. God hasn't judged yet, so I'm just going to keep going and living my way. And then (coughs) later on down the road, when I'm sort of done living my life, well, then I'll repent and then I'll get right with the Lord. No, Paul says, no, 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 the kindness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. But Pharaoh has repeatedly hardened his heart and said, no, I will not bow to Yahweh. He's chosen time and time again to resist God and refuse to repent. I think those are two good words for Pharaoh, resist and refuse. Anything you want, God, I'm just refusing. I'm not following you. I'm not submitting to you. I'm not doing those things and I will resist. I'm not following. I'm not obeying. I'm not bowing. I'm going to live my life. And as such, God now promises this final judgment. Yes, it is severe, but it is not beyond the righteousness or the justice of God to do this. He promises a final judgment on Pharaoh's wickedness and the wickedness of the Egyptians. And again, we need to keep in mind that this is not a story of pharaoh is a bad guy and then the people of egypt are okay and they're getting a bad rap because pharaoh is is in charge no pharaoh and the egyptians all of them are wicked idolaters who refuse to honor yahweh the people of egypt they're not just saints who spend their days helping little old ladies across the street and adopting stray puppies And they're just getting punished unfairly because Pharaoh won't submit. No, all of them are idolaters. They are wicked, they are sinful, they stand condemned. Now, they're no worse than any of us, so don't hear me say that somehow they're worse. They're no worse than us, but they are not uh, beyond judgment. Their sin and rebellion will not go unpunished. God is going to judge them for their sin. And there's actually another judgment promised in Scripture beyond this one. It won't be for the Egyptians in particular, but it will be for every single person who, like the Egyptians, refuses to bow their knee to the Lord. Paul writes in Romans 1, and he speaks of the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against unrighteousness unrighteousness and wickedness. Against the people, he says, who suppress the truth. What truth? The truth of who God is. The truth of his rule and reign over the world. The truth that it is his way or the highway, literally. And he says, by their truth, he says, they, they refuse to worship the creator, and instead they worship the creature. Paul says God's wrath will be revealed. Those who worship idols, and to be honest, that's all of us, isn't it? We don't have statues around here. We don't have little figurines that we go and we bow to. But every single one of us, apart from Christ, before we meet Jesus, we're idolaters. It may be the idol of money or power or fame. I think most often it's the idol of me. I'm in charge. I'll bow at my idol all day long and serve myself. Paul says the wrath of God is coming against them. I had Mr. Harry read from John chapter 5 because Jesus speaks of this coming judgment. Again, we like to sort of talk about Jesus as if he just walks all day with like a lamb under one arm and just whispering things to people, but he actually talked a lot about hell and judgment. And he says in John chapter 5, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus is very clear. There's coming a day when we will stand before the Lord. And whatever we have done in life will be judged. There's, There's no getting out of it. The judgment is coming. As surely as Pharaoh was judged for his sin, so also will every single person be judged for his or her sin. Why? Because God is holy and sin is sin. Because God is holy and sin is sin. When Yahweh comes to Moses, he promises this final judgment. Notice it hadn't even happened yet. It's a warning here. This judgment is coming. A final judgment on Pharaoh, one that will bring about the final deliverance of his people. Look at verses 29 through 32 of chapter 12, and I want you to see final judgment delivered. Let's look at what actually happens when this final judgment is delivered. 29 through 32, a a restating here, just playing out of exactly what God had said. (coughs) Excuse me, the the Lord (laughs) comes through and strikes down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. I mean, can you imagine the scene? Can you imagine the sound in Egypt that night? Every single house. And in fact, it says this. There was not a house, verse 30, where someone was not dead. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate it. In this day and age, it was not uncommon for multiple families, multiple generations to live together. Every generation would have had a firstborn, dies at the same time at midnight. The cries in your house wake up the neighbors who discover their firstborns are dead. And their cries wake up the next neighbor. Can you imagine the sound in Egypt that night? There was not a house where someone was not dead. There's an interesting term here in Exodus uh, where it says there was a great cry. Some of your translations may say there was a wailing. It's actually the same word from back in chapter 3, verses 7 and 9. It's the same word in Exodus 3 that was used for the the great cry or the wailing of the Israelites under the oppression of the Egyptians. Remember, in their their slavery, they're crying out in their bondage. It's the same word here. There's this incredible turn of events where first it was the Egyptians oppressing the Israelites and they cried out in their oppression. And now the same sounds, but it's the Egyptians suffering under the judgment of the Lord. I know that passages like this are a problem for many people today. Um, The idea of God as this wrathful, vengeful God is uh, very unpopular, I think, today. Many people want to reduce the Lord to sort of the doting grandfather who sits on a cloud and doesn't really care what we do. You know, he, he's he's Grandpa. He'll just sort of go along with whatever. A wrathful and a holy God judging sinners is—it's an archaic term. That's just—that's old school. That's Old Testament stuff. Uh, it's it's incompatible with modern sensibilities. We don't we don't talk about judgment. It's a judgment-free zone. I go to the gym, and that's written on the wall, a judgment-free zone. I like it there. But that's not reality, not when it comes to the Lord. Our God is holy. And Regardless of what we think our sensibilities are, he will not, and he cannot tolerate sin. He will, and he must judge it. He is, from Isaiah 6-3, the thrice-holy king. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is the one from Exodus 15, 11, who is majestic in holiness. He is the one from Psalm 96, verse 13, who will judge the world in righteousness. <clears throat> in response to Pharaoh's sin, God brings judgment. So what is Pharaoh's response? Look at verse 30 uh, to 32. Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry, verse 31, then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people. Boy, the message has changed now. We saw this in the beginning. It wasn't, they're not just going to let you go, they're going to drive you out. Pharaoh, in his despair, anger, I'm sure, says, just get out. Just go. Take your people, take your stuff, and get out. You know, we've seen this before a few times. Sure, you guys can go. Things are terrible here, so get out. And then things get better. And he says, no, 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 I changed my mind. This time is different. Look at the details he says here. Uh, Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone. Look at the details there. All the people can go. He didn't want that originally. Remember, it was you can go, but the, the women and children stay here. No, he says, everybody goes. Take your flocks and your herds. Remember, he didn't want that originally. And there's no restriction on how far. He didn't want that originally. Pharaoh just wants them gone. The devastation has taken its toll, and Pharaoh says, just just get out. Be gone. Pharaoh, as I said earlier, he's tried multiple times to negotiate what I call like a pseudo-obedience. I'm kind of obeying, but within my own terms. Sure, I'll obey just as long as the requirements are to my liking. But we don't get that here. I think because he's finally broken. The cries of parents losing their children is deafening. His own sorrow and helplessness is undeniable. And so we have no more negotiations. No more compromises. uh, (coughs) Excuse me. No more, well, maybe if you do this or that. No, no, no. It's just, just go. Moses, take your people and get out. We recognize here in the text that God's judgment is heavy. Now, this is not a slap on the wrist. This is not a, it's not a pink slip in your box at work. This is not a, a, a scolding, a stern warning. God's judgment is His righteous response to sin. It is heavy, it is weighty, and it is devastating. As we look to the future, we long for this day when Jesus will return. For us as believers, we're we're excited about that day. At least we should be excited about that day, and we should long for that day. But it won't just be this great celebration when Christ comes back, because when He returns, all people throughout history will be resurrected to stand before Him. You can actually see this in Revelation chapter 20 as we think about this throne of judgment. And what we see in Revelation 20 is that there are two categories of people. There are the unbelievers, those who are still condemned in their sin, apart from Christ, they are cast into an eternal hell. But those who are believers, those who have uh, repented of their sin, they've trusted in Christ, those are ushered into an eternal heaven, a paradise with Christ. And those are the only two categories. This isn't politics. We don't have a third party. There's no independence here. When we stand before Christ, it is either You are in Christ or you are not. You are either condemned or you are not. Those are the categories. When we stand before Jesus, we will either have him as our advocate, John talks about in 1 John 2, or we will have him as our enemy. He will be one of two. He will either be your advocate saying, yep, this one's mine. I died for this one. My blood covers this one. Or he will be your enemy who will say, I don't know you depart from me. The question for us this morning is, what is he to you now? Is he your enemy or is he your advocate? Is he your enemy or is he your advocate? Don't wait until that day to find out. Find out today. God's final judgment here has been promised and it's been delivered. Thirdly and finally, I want us to see that God's final judgment can be avoided. Go back to chapter 11, turn back over a page, Chapter 11, I'm going to try to tie a few things together, and let's read verse 7. Well, verse 6, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. Verse 7, but not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a, and if you want to circle the next word, that's a good one, distinction between Egypt and Israel. In an earlier sermon I did on where we had the frogs, the flies, and the gnats, I argued that what Moses is doing in his retelling here of these events is he's trying to highlight how God makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And we saw where the plagues don't go on Israel, right? They don't experience the frogs and the flies and all those things. They don't experience the hail. They don't experience any of those things because God protects them and sets them apart. And I, I made the statement, something along the lines of, God does not do to his people what he does to the, to the wicked Egyptians. Okay? They're not subjected to his plagues, and they're not subjected here to the final plague. The people of God do not experience the death of the firstborn, only the Egyptians. Now, the details of how he sets the people apart is actually for the next sermon, so I I don't want to steal Wes's thunder and get too far into it. (coughs) But for this morning, I do want to say and point out that the core detail of God's protection is the shedding of blood. I I know we're probably all familiar with it. If you've seen, you know, the, the Exodus, the cartoon, or maybe even the Ten Commandments might be in there as well. But we're familiar with the Passover, Remember God tells the people, go and, and kill the lamb, and you put the blood over the doorpost, and then when God uh, you know, comes through, He's going to pass over their houses. Remember that? A slaughter of a lamb and a blood on a doorpost, and God passes over. He does not judge those people. God's judgment here in Exodus is avoided through the shedding of blood. And there's all kinds of great imagery here. Because it's really cool when you think about fast-forwarding 1,500 years or so, to another time when blood is applied. But it's not applied to a doorpost. And it wouldn't be the blood of a lamb. It would be the blood of the Son. And it's not applied to a doorpost. But it's applied and smeared and poured out on a wooden Roman cross. As a result, God's judgment would pass over His people. Why? Because blood had been spilled. A lamb had been slain. What John would call the 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 lamb of god the perfect lamb of god his blood is spilled and god's judgment passes over not just because he can but because the judgment was poured out on christ in our place you see the imagery here in exodus is really striking and how it foreshadows what jesus is going to do 1500 years earlier you get this like wait, what are we doing a lamb and some blood on the doorpost what is this Fast forward and we see, oh, now we understand. It's a picture of what Christ will do. And we can actually take it one step further. There's some really cool stuff here. Think about it this way. God's judgment on Egypt was the death of the firstborn. God's forgiveness of his people comes through the death of another firstborn. The one that Paul would describe in Romans 8 as the firstborn among many brothers. Who is that? It's Christ. Isn't that amazing? God's judgment in Egypt is the death of the firstborn. His provision of salvation for his people is also the death of the firstborn in our place. And now we receive forgiveness in Christ. Centuries before the birth of Jesus, we have this amazing image of judgment, the shedding of blood, the protection of God's people, striking parallels where God judges the wicked, but he says, no, 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 you're my people. I'm going I'm to set you aside be forward to Christ on the cross. I'm going to judge sin in Christ, but my people are set aside because now your judgment has been taken. I have judged, and now you are forgiven. The reality is because of sin, all of us are promised judgment. All right, in our natural conditions, we are, as Paul would say, by nature, children of wrath. We, we, we talk about this all the time. We make jokes like, you don't. Know, teach kids to sin. right? They come out of the womb as little demons that just tear everything up and punch people in the face. We don't have to teach them that. Why? Because they're fallen. They're by nature children of wrath, and they will grow up to to express that sinfulness in a myriad uh, of ways until Christ intervenes, and He steps in, and He changes them. All of us, apart from Christ, we have nothing to look forward to except judgment. We will be in that category of people who looks to Christ not as an advocate but as an enemy. And he says, I don't know you. Get out of here. How can we avoid that judgment, that future judgment? It's only through the shed blood of Christ. There's no other way. If you're here this morning and you're banking on your good works, you're banking on being better than the guy down the street, I got bad news for you. It's not good enough. The only way we can avoid this judgment that's coming is through the shed blood of Christ. He is our provision for sin, and might I say the only provision for sin. There's, there's nothing else. We must repent and believe in Him for the forgiveness of sins. We must receive new life from Him through the power of the Spirit. We must receive His righteousness because we don't have our own. We put our sins on Him because we can't, we can't live with them. We can't pay for them. Only then and only in Christ can we avoid that judgment that's coming. Only then can we escape the penalty of our sin, condemnation, wrathful judgment from a holy God against everything that is opposite of him, everything that is unholy. Some of you are are old enough. I think I described it a few weeks ago as on the northern end of the timeline and people didn't like that, but you know what I mean. You're old enough to remember a time where we, we talked about hellfire and brimstone. Remember those preachers who get up, and I mean, he was just pounding the pulpit, walking around. An old mentor of mine would, would describe it as like snorting in the pulpit, just, just letting them have it. Anybody grow up in a church like that? A few, okay, a couple of you, or been to a church like that, or heard preachers like that. Men who stood up, and they just, they just let you have it. Sin and judgment, condemnation's coming, and you need to get right. Where is that nowadays? We talked about this in our home group a couple of weeks ago. Where, where has that message gone? Where are the guys in the pulpit who are, you know, we don't need shouting and yelling. That doesn't make everything. But where, where are the men who are proclaiming the truth of judgment and sin and the reality of hell and the need for Jesus? It's really largely been replaced by messages of self-improvement and personal advancement. Come to Jesus and be a better person. Uh, Come to Jesus and your family gets better, your life gets better. We don't preach sin, hell, and judgment. We preach a message of sickness and weakness. You're doing okay, but you could do a little better. Have you tried Jesus yet? Um, We preach a better life through religious adherence. We've got a list of things for you to do. Nothing too demanding, but you'll feel better. Nothing really, you don't have to change your life too much. Just add a little bit here and you'll be fine. That has replaced the message of sin and hell and judgment and the radical grace that God gives us in Christ. But you know what? The Bible is clear. It may not be preached much anymore, but it's very clear. Judgment is coming for every single person who does not repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. That's it. We talk about mission trip to to, to Ecuador and, and Uganda. We think like, what 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 hope do these people have if they don't hear about Jesus? None. They've got to hear. You and I have heard. Judgment is coming. There's no exceptions. <coughs> but there is an escape through Christ. If you're here this morning, maybe you're uh, maybe you're a church member, even, you're a visitor, you're a guest. You came for a pick-me-up message? Sorry, don't have one. Uh, but this is the Scripture. This is the reality. If you're there here this morning and you have not turned from your sin, you've not repented of it, you've not trusted in Christ for forgiveness, then you stand condemned. As I said earlier, there's no third party. They're not like for God, against God, and still deciding. No, Scripture doesn't paint that picture. You're either for Him or against Him. You're either forgiven or you're guilty. You're condemned or you're not. He is either your enemy or your advocate. The good news is that you don't actually have to leave this morning that way. You might have walked in here this morning fully condemned, but you don't have to leave that way because there's actually freedom and forgiveness in Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. You know, we don't preach hell and destruction just and then leave it there. We preach the reality of sin and judgment so that we might then say, but look at Jesus. Yes, here's the reality. You're you're in sin. You stand condemned. You will face hell. But look at Jesus. You can be forgiven. It's not yours to earn, but yours to receive. Maybe that's the hard part of it. If you're like me, you're a doer and a fixer. I want to know the plan. How do I fix the boat I'm in, the mess that I'm in? What do I do? The hard part about the gospel is that there's nothing you can do. And that's actually the stumbling block for many people. Like Pharaoh, they just, can't, they just can't let go of trying. You ever been in a boat like that, in a situation like that? You're like, you've tried it a million ways, it's terrible, but you just can't not keep trying. Uh, one more way, I can get it this time. When it comes to sin, that won't be the answer. You won't get it the next time. The answer is to just let go. The answer is to bow before the Lord, to cast it all aside. I'm trying to use every illustration I can think of. Just give everything to Jesus and say, I've ruined it all. I stand condemned. But I need, I need Christ's forgiveness. And in response, we get life, we get freedom, we get um, eternity in heaven, we get adoption as sons and daughters, we get declared innocent in justification. We get all these great doctrines that we think about and learn in school, in, in Sunday school, but we only get them in Christ. Like, you don't, you don't earn them. We've been joking this morning about a pickleball tournament I, was, I did yesterday, and I, I did pretty well, and I was really excited. I worked hard, and I earned it. <laughs> I know I started to wear my medal today, and be like, oh, what is this? But you know, when it comes to, when it comes to standing before the Lord, as we think about eternity, I, I can't hold up my medal for trying hard. I can't hold up my medal and say, you know, Jesus, I, man, I was in church every Sunday and Wednesday and Sunday night. I had my kids there with me. I, I mean, I worked hard. I gave 12% every, every month to the church rather than 10. I did, I did all these things. Look at my medals. You know what he's going to say to that? does nothing. Those things are just burned up, tossed away. It will only be those of us who stand in front of him, and we don't say, you know, oh, I did all these things. No, no, no. It will be those of us who stand before him and fall before him and say, I'm only getting through that door because of you. Because you died for me. You paid my penalty. That's it. If your answer to to how I'm going to make it through there starts with I, then, then you won't make it. It's only in Christ that we will be forgiven. It's only in Christ that we can escape and avoid this judgment that's coming. I started talking about warning signs because warning signs are meant to be heeded, right? What's the point of a warning sign if people just walk right by it? You know, well, what, why do we even put them there? Because we hope that people will see them and do something. You turn around, go back, whatever it is. <coughs> Warnings usually mean something like a hazard ahead you see a sign that says bridge out, trust it. Don't keep going. That would be foolishness. He'd be the, the, the fool who sees danger and keeps going. The prudent sees danger and hides himself. The wise man sees danger and hides himself. Pharaoh failed to heed those warning signs. Nine plagues, one after another. Nine plagues. He could see that Yahweh is Lord. He needed to submit, but through nine plagues he refused. Over and over and over again. He hardened his heart, uh, it just, just sort of shook his fist at Yahweh and said, Nope, I'm Pharaoh. I will not bend to this. I will not bow to this. Who's this Yahweh character? I don't know him. Because of his hard heart and his refusal to submit, God brought judgment on Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. And it was a judgment so great text says that the whole world's going to hear about it. Well beyond Egypt, people are going to hear and say, wow, did you hear what happened to Egypt? Man, Yahweh is Lord. Reality is one day Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. Every unbeliever will be cast into hell because of their sinful and wicked hearts. In life, they refuse to bow the knee, but there's coming a day when they will. They will finally know and they will finally confess that Jesus is Lord. And as I said earlier, don't wait till that day. Don't be like Pharaoh and harden your heart, but heed the warnings. The warnings are there in Scripture. Judgment is coming, but there's forgiveness and there's life and there's freedom in Christ today. Will you realize that this morning? If you're here and you're not a believer, maybe you're watching today or 10 years from now. Will you realize that judgment is coming and that your only hope of surviving it is by being covered in Christ's blood? Or are you going to stand proud like Pharaoh until it's too late? The Bible is clear. The question is, will we believe? I want to encourage you this morning, look to Jesus. If you're honest enough to say, man, I've, all those things you're talking about, well, I've done all those things. Tried my best, been there, done that, said this, gone there and it's gotten me nothing, maybe you should try Jesus. And I don't say that flippantly. I just Jesus is the answer. He's the only answer. The for forgiveness of sins. Maybe you're here this morning, and you just, you just weighed down with the reality of sin. Look to Jesus. Find forgiveness in him. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we ask, as we think about processing this scripture, that you would help us not to be like Pharaoh, hard-hearted. The reality is we are too often like Pharaoh. And apart from your saving work that changes us, we would be Pharaoh. All of us are, until we meet Jesus. So I pray, Father, for those who are here this morning who don't know you, that you would soften their hearts, that you would open their eyes to see, as this text of the scripture would say, that you would give them faith to believe, a faith to put in you. They might find forgiveness and avoid this judgment that is coming. Because you are holy and you will not let sin go unpunished. Our only hope this morning is that our sin would be punished in Christ and not in us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.